Section three of Arthur Wing Panero Playwright. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Arthur Wing Panero Playwright. A study by Hamilton Fife. Section three. Early efforts. Upon Mr. Panero's early work, the plays which came before the squire, there is little that can usefully be said, nor indeed is it necessary to discuss in detail any but the pieces which Mr. Panero has printed in the admirable collection edition of his work published by Mr. William Heinemann. These are the plays by which he asks to be judged, to rummage amongst the immature productions of the plays when he was feeling his way to a method that may be interesting to a bibliographer but has no attraction for the critic nothing would in truth be gained by a lengthy consideration of mr panero's early experiments his success has been so much a matter of will-power that the study of his beginnings yields little save admiration for the strenuous effort which out of so little has created so much there was in mr panero's first attempt scarcely anything that marked him out as a playwright of particular promise no evidence of a superior talent not even exceptional dexterity he was not one of nature's favored children he was not born with a silver tongue in his mouth he did not lisp in well-turned phrases or delight his schoolboy hours by searching for le mot juste his writing never seems to have been done easily you can always find in it evidence of effort of patient labor of determination to secure the effect aimed at as he gradually acquired the mastery over his material, he learned the art of concealing endeavor. When you read or listen to the dialogue, which comes so pat and seems so inevitable in Dandy Dick or the Gay Lord Quicks, you lose, for the moment, the sense of effort. But when you look into it closely, you can see how laboriously it has been put together and shaped into the most effective mold. It was in The Money Spinner that Mr. Panero first showed a trace of his power. The characters are commonplace types, and they constantly talk to the audience in soliloquy and monologue. But the piece is undeniably good stagecraft. It tells how a young wife cheated at cards in order to win money to pay off a certain sum which her husband has misappropriated from his employers. Not a very sympathetic motive, perhaps, but one that compels a certain measure of sympathy as Mr. Panero handled it. The wife is known as the money-spender for her dexterity at cards, so it is not an isolated slip on her part. Her father is a gambling hell proprietor, and she and her sister help the old scoundrel to manage it. The only character in the piece who is not more or less of a knave is more or less of a fool, and that is the young Englishman who is cheated and who forgives the fraud practiced upon him as soon as he knows its circumstances. Mr. Panero has avowed lately his belief that the materials for drama can only be looked for today in the upper ranks of society. He evidently thought so far back as the date of the money spender, for by making this young Englishman appear, he gave the piece that aristocratic flavor which he declares to be essential to the plays of this age. The money spender, despite its faults, is interesting, effective, quick-witted. The squire is more than this and yet, in a sense, less than this. It is a play which begins so well that its tame and hackneyed ending is an irritating disappointment. 
This was the author's rough note of the idea on which the drama is based. The notion of a young couple secretly married, the girl about to become a mother, finding that a former wife is still in existence, the heroine amongst those who respect and love her, the fury of a rejected lover who believes her to be a guilty woman, two men face to face at night time. Query, kill the first wife? Here is an idea, certainly, an idea which, treated in a serious and original manner, would no doubt make an interesting play. It is true that men are not, as a rule, in doubt whether their wives are alive or not. The device is of the stage, stagery. However, something must be granted to the dramatist. No one need grudge Mr. Pinero his postulate. The grudge which we do bear against him is not for starting with an improbable situation, but for handling that situation in an insincere, nerveless fashion. The first act is wonderfully good. The exposition of the theme is masterly. We are interested in the characters. We feel that the situation is big with all kinds of possibilities. Then comes the scene in which the young husband and wife learn that they are not legally married, that between them stands the previous wife, supposed honestly by both of them to be dead. In this scene, you will remember, the husband is concealed behind a curtain. He has come in by the window while his rival is telling the story. This is the moment that brings us to the parting of the ways. Up to now, the play has been full of interest, original, sincere. This is the crux upon which all the rest turns. When the teller of the sad story has gone, will the husband come out at once from behind the curtain and act as a man would in such circumstances? Or will he remain hidden while his wife has a scene all to herself? and then appear and behave like a stage puppet. It is a moment of breathless excitement. Unfortunately, the playwright was not strong enough to follow the bolder course. The solution took the wrong turn. Insincerity laid hold upon the play, and the rest of it is mere artifice, conventional drama of the depressing period of the early eighties. The difference between the first act, so full of power and dexterity, and the last with its comic opera peasants and lingering denouement is truly pathetic. The final scenes are really no more than tedious devices to keep the story afloat until upon the stroke of eleven the death of the inconvenient first wife can be whispered and the curtain fall upon a fresh prospect of wedding bells. Query, kill the first wife? Alas, the same malady which carried off the first wife proved fatal to the last act. What was the reason? Did Mr. Pinero say to himself, Video meliora provoque, deteriora secor? Or was it simply that he had not yet the force of mind to break with the commonplace? The latter, I fancy. He arrived slowly at his full mental stature. In 1881, he was only in his intellectual teens. Besides, there was no one in 1881 to show the way to better things. Mr. Pinero's habit of mind has ever been to follow rather than to lead. The piece is said to have owed much of its success to Mr. Kendall. Of this I must leave my elders to speak. I have no doubt her beautiful art filled the piece with the fragrance of womanhood and gave poignancy to the passion and tenderness which chance had so sorely betrayed. I have only seen Miss Kate Rourke in the part of Kate Verity. She made a charming squire, certainly, 
but she was gracefully pathetic rather than powerful in the emotional scenes it is difficult by the way to believe that the people who made a fuss about the points of resemblance between the squire and mr hardy's great novel far from the madding crowd can have either read the book or seen the play the superficial likeness between kate and bathsheba is their only point of contact the rural setting which was to waft the scent of the hay across the footlights was surely common property among novelists and playwrights it was after the squire that mr william archer described mr pinero english dramatist of to-day samson lowe eighteen eighty two as a thoughtful and conscientious writer with artistic aims if not yet with full command of his artistic means mr archer found in mr pinero's work sufficient promise to warrant a hope that we have in this author a playwright of genuine talent whose more mature work will take a prominent and honorable place upon the stage in coming years a forecast of which mr archer may be very justly proud end of section three